I'd like to give a, a warm welcome to you all as we meet to worship our God, as we meet around his word, whether we're here in the building or whether you're joining us online. Again, Basil, I'd like to extend to you a warm welcome and thank you for coming to bring God's word to us and we tr- trust that you are blessed as you, as you do so. Just got three announcements um, before we start. Um, exploring Christianity um, starts uh, next week, not this coming week, but the week after. We've got 11 people signed up, so if you know of anyone who you think will fit in with a crowd more than perhaps just on their own, please take a card, invite them along, talk to Jane or myself. It would be great to have them, great opportunity. We have fellowship lunch coming up next month on the 18th, and we have a sign-up sheet in the foyer on the notice board, so please, if you want to come, sign up your name, and it would be great to come together after missing out so many times on COVID, a great time together. And then finally, there are refreshments after the service. Well, before we start, I'm going to read a verse from Isaiah 57. Isaiah 57. And this is just to get our minds thinking as we come to worship our God. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place. And also with him or her who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the heart of the contrite. And Basil's title for us today for his sermon is So Great a Salvation. So Great a Salvation. And we see how the one who is high and lifted up can actually live in the one who is contrite and lowly. Let's commit our time to God in prayer. Father God, we come and we want to worship you, we want to praise you, we want to honour you as the one who is high and lifted up with your Son in the heavens on the throne. We ask that we would be those who are contrite, who are lowly, who are humble, whose hearts are opened for, for you to come and dwell in. And we thank you that it's possible through the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done. And we pray that as we come to worship you, as we come to praise you this evening, that distracting thoughts would be put aside from us. And we pray the Holy Spirit would be working amongst us, helping us to listen, helping us to see. And we ask this in Jesus' name, so that you may have all the honour and all the glory. Amen. Well, our first hymn, which uh, we will stand when the music starts, is Immortal Honours, Rest on Jesus' Head. My God, my portion, and my living bread.
if you can turn in your Bibles um, with me to the book of Hebrews, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, and we're going to read the whole of chapter 1 and the first four verses in chapter 2. So 1001 in the Chapel Bibles, page number 1001. So Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds, and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is for ever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe, you will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. And thus reads God's word. We're going to sing our next song, which is, Pass me not, a gentle saviour, hear my humble cry, while on others... Thou art calling, do not pass me by. Let's stand and sing with the music. Mm-hmm. 
shall we, shall we bow to God in prayer again? Let's, let's pray. Father God, as we come into your presence, we acknowledge that you are the King of Kings, that you are the Lord of Lords, that you are the High and Lifted One. And we acknowledge that we are fallen. We acknowledge that we are feeble. We acknowledge that we are sinful. And as we come before you as our creator, as we look around at the creation that you have made and the wonder of it, and we see the way that we have ruined it, Lord, that puts us in perspective against how great you are, against your majesty. Yet we are so thankful. We're thankful that you are a God who is loving. You're a God who is kind You're a God who is merciful and you're a God who is gracious. And we see the greatness of your love where you sent your son, the Lord Jesus, to die on this earth. He was willing to leave the perfection of heaven above. He was willing to leave your side and come and live as a human. Lord, and to be tempted as a human, though he did not sin. And he suffered at the hands of humans. He suffered at the hands of those he had created. He suffered for those that he had created who would look to him for forgiveness, who would look to him feeling their need of forgiveness, knowing that they had had done wrong before a holy God. And we're so thankful that there is that way that peace can be restored between us as your creation and you as the creator and that yes you are the king of kings and yes you are the lord of lords but you're also our father you're also our saviour and you're also our brother and if any of us do not know you if any of us can't say that you are our father if any of us do not know you as our brother We ask that tonight your Holy Spirit would be working amongst us. That he would be helping people to see their need of your forgiveness. Their need of you as a saviour. He would be convicting people of their sin. Showing how they've done wrong. And then showing them Jesus. And for us that do know you, we pray that he would be the Holy Spirit would be refreshing us, strengthening us. Lord, helping us to come before you with our love strengthened because we acknowledge that our love does go cold. And we pray that each of us here in the building would be changed as we leave the building, wanting to love and praise you more or perhaps for the very first time coming to know you as their saviour. Lord, we pray that today that your kingdom would grow as more people are added to it. And Lord, we pray that you would be with Basil as he brings your word to us. Lord, we acknowledge that it is your word. And Lord, we pray as your word has been preached up and down this country that your Holy Spirit would be working and that souls would be saved. Souls would be changed that your name would be lifted up and glorified and honoured.
Lord, we look around and we acknowledge that we are in a sinful nation. And we ask that you would be merciful to us. We ask that you would be gracious to us. We ask that as we have a new Prime Minister in the throes of being chosen, we ask that you would work in their lives. We ask that you would draw them to you. We ask that they would be looking to you for wisdom, for counsel, for direction. Lord, so often we see that's not the case, but we know that can change. We think of kings that have changed in the Old Testament, being Manasseh or Nebuchadnezzar, how you turned them back to you. And we pray that you would work in whoever is our Prime Minister's whoever will become our Prime Minister, that they will come back to you. Lord God, we pray that you would be with any MPs in Parliament who do honour you and do glorify you and do seek to let your way known. We pray that you would be with them and help them in what must be a very, very difficult job. Lord God, we also um, want to thank you for uh, the many things that you blessed us with We want to think back over this summer and thank you for the way that you have helped in the various activities that we've done in your name. And we pray that the seed that has been sown, whether on YPs, whether on camp, or whether down at the lighthouse at Alderbrook, Lord, we pray that seed will grow, that it would not be choked with the cares of this world. We pray that Satan would not take away any effect um, that it's having And we pray that we would see some children and some young people come to call you their saviour. We thank you for time of holiday and we thank you for those who are away and we pray that you would be with them. We pray you would bless them. We especially remember our pastor John and Esther and we ask that you would refresh them physically, mentally and spiritually. And we pray that you would bless them personally as they take this time of rest. We commit to you Mark, Mark Philpot as well, Lord, as, as he takes up his new position imminently. We ask that you would be close to him and we pray that he would continue to look to you for strength as he feels his, his, he needs uh, your strength to be with him. Be with him as he starts that new role. Lord, we pray for any who are in difficulty, who are challenged, whether through their health, Lord, whether it be mental, physical, whether through circumstances, or whether it be spiritual. And we ask that they would look to you, that they would cast their cares on you, that they would look to you for strength and for comfort. At this time, we I want to thank you for Mrs. Ralph for everything that she, she was and everything that she did for you and did for us. And thank you that she's now with you in glory. But we remember the family. We remember those who she was dear to and ask that you would be with them in their loss. And again, they would look to you for their comfort. Lord, we remember as the summer holidays come to an end, the children go back to school, we specifically pray for those who may be starting school for the first time. I'll pray for those who may be going up to senior school or for those who may be starting college. 
Lord, be with each of them and help them in this change of life. We pray, Lord, but as they change their lives, we pray that they would look to you. So, Father God, as, as we come to your word, we again pray that you would be with Basil. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be amongst us. We pray that we would be blessed by your word this evening. For Jesus' honour and for his glory. Amen. going to stand and, and sing our, our third hymn, our third song, which is, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner, condemned, unclean. Let's stand and sing.
It has been a very great pleasure and privilege to be with you here today at Forest Fold. Uh, One trouble is that when I come here, I have feelings of envy creeping up in my heart because I see your wonderful car park out there and the beautiful grass, and I think how different to the centre of Reading. But uh, it's a great joy for Margaret and me to have been here today, and thank you for your welcome. Now we're going to look at Hebrews 2, verse 3. Hebrews 2, verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? To neglect anything is a bad thing. Some people ignore all the gardening programs and neglect their gardens until they're overrun with weeds and brambles. Others neglect their cars. One dark night, rainy night on the motorway, the car breaks down. Then you read court cases of people who have ignored and neglected some poor animal. And you see a picture of an emaciated horse. You feel great pity. People are horrified. Some folks ignore medical advice and neglect their own health. John Calvin, the theologian some people love to hate, worked so hard in preaching the gospel that he neglected his own health and eventually burned himself out with a complication of some 20 different diseases. Other men virtually neglect their wives and children. That is dreadful. In a sense, there's something noble about a man who neglects his own health for the sake of the gospel. But for a man to marry and have children and then neglect his wife and neglect his children, that surely is abominable. But there's one kind of neglect which is even worse than that and extremely dangerous. The worst kind of neglect of which any man or woman can be guilty. And it's mentioned here in Hebrews 2 verse 3 and that is to neglect such a great salvation. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? There are two main ways in which men and women can ignore the salvation. One way is just to ignore it completely, to never bother about it, to show no interest in it whatsoever. That is the worst kind of neglect. To neglect anything completely is dreadful, but to neglect the way of salvation completely is dreadful and awful. But many people like that. They don't want to know. They don't want to hear. Even if you try to tell them about salvation, they don't want to know. They don't want to hear. I've known people in church to act like that. The church in Norwich, in which Mark and I were married many, many years ago, now closed down, but the last time I preached there, some 50 years ago, some people slammed their books down, stormed out of the church, slammed the door, 
because they didn't like hearing the gospel of salvation. You see, even religious people can neglect the way of salvation. Roger Carswell, this last Christmas, was invited by a group of people in the NHS to lead a carol service in a certain church. But one of the church officials stepped in and stopped it happening. And he actually said he would not allow the gospel to be preached in his church. What about that? A minister of a church saying, I will not allow the gospel to be preached in my church. That is dreadful, dreadful neglect. But there's another way in which we can neglect this way of salvation. That is, if, if as professing Christians, we turn our backs on it and renounce it. That is what some of these Hebrew Christians were in danger of doing. Life was so hard, they were being persecuted. Some had lost their homes, some had lost their work. They were having a hard time because they were Christians. And so they were tempted to renounce the Christian faith. And the writer of this letter appeals to them, he says, if you do that, if you turn your back on the Christian faith, you'll be neglecting so great a salvation. And he says, how can you hope to escape if you do that? What I want to do this evening is to show you just how great this salvation is. It's something we must never, ever neglect. It's so great. I want to show you that the salvation you have if you're a Christian is the most amazing thing you could ever have. And I want to show you that the salvation which is offered to you if you're not a Christian is the most wonderful thing you could ever receive. One way of gauging the greatness of the salvation is to look at the plight, the calamity from which we've been saved. You look at the burnt-out shell of a house from which a a family escaped, and you say they had a remarkable deliverance. Margaret and I looked at the mangled wreck of our car on the M4 just over a year ago and said, we've had a great deliverance. Because you see the greatness of the deliverance, the greatness of the salvation, when you look at what you've been saved from. And we've been saved from the guilt of sin. Before we became Christians, We were guilty and defiled in the eyes of God. We were guilty of breaking his laws. We were guilty of rebelling against him. Instead of loving God and living for God, we loved ourselves and lived for ourselves. And we we were all guilty in the sight of God of breaking his laws. Instead of worshipping the Lord, we worshipped ourselves. To stand as a guilty person in the crown court is a dreadful thing. To stand before God as a guilty person is terrible. We've been saved from that if we're Christians. Saved from our guilt. 
And if you've become a Christian tonight, you'll be saved from the guilt of your sin. We've all been saved from the bondage of sin. One of the most terrible things about sin is that it not only renders us guilty in the eyes of God, it holds us in bondage. It holds us in slavery. That's how we were at one time. Gripped and enslaved and mastered by sin. By such things as selfishness and greed and pride and jealousy. We tried to shake ourselves free of these things. We made resolutions. We determined to live better lives. But we were in bondage, slavery, to this thing called sin. But wonder of wonders, the Lord Jesus Christ has saved us, if we're believers, from the slavery of sin. Joy fills my soul, for Jesus has saved me, freed me from sin that long had enslaved me. That's what is offered to you tonight, my friend, if you're not a Christian. Freedom from the slavery of sin. But most of all, of course, we've been saved from the punishment of sin. From everlasting punishment in hell. That's where we were heading. That's where we were going. We were hurtling headlong to endless woe in hell. That's the worst thing about sin. It not only makes a person guilty in the eyes of God, it not only holds us in bondage, it also drags us down to hell. That's not very popular teaching these days. But it's true. Jesus himself said that. Jesus himself said that. But if we're Christians, we've been saved from all of that from the guilt of sin, from the bondage of sin, from the hell that sin deserves. And if you become a Christian tonight, you'll be saved from all of that. We see the greatness of salvation when we think of the plight, the peril, the danger from which we have been saved. Another way of gauging the greatness of salvation is to think not only of the plight from which we have been saved, but the position to which we have been saved. Let me illustrate that. Uh, some of you have read the story of John Wesley, the founder of Methodist churches. You remember that at the, as a child of five years of age, he was saved from the blazing rectory at Epworth in Lincolnshire, just in the nick of time. A man climbed up and snatched him from an open window. John Wesley saved from that burning fire to become one of the greatest preachers this country has ever known. A similar thing happened to Dr. Martin Jones when he was a child. He was thrown from the upper window of a flaming house into the arms of someone below. Saved to become an eminent Harley Street doctor and to become one of the greatest preachers of the 20th century. My earliest memory 
is of the Second World War. And one of those memories is of being under the table with my mother and older brother. We couldn't get to the air raid shelter in time and the bombs began to fall. And I remember the front door being blown in. And I remember the back door being blown in and the windows being broken. The house badly damaged. Just up the road, 250 yards up the road, a house was very badly damaged. And the mother and her baby daughter were in that house. And the air raid wardens rescued mother and baby daughter from that house. I'm very thrilled by that. Because that baby daughter is now my wife. And has been my wife for many, many years. Margaret may not be too thrilled about that. But I am thrilled about that. Saved from that wrecked house to become my dear wife. Now, you see the wonder of salvation when you see not only the plight from which we've been saved, but the position to which we've been saved. Those who are Christians have been saved from the flaming fires of hell to become the children of God. Those who are saved have been saved from eternal punishment to become heirs of heaven. That's our position now if we are Christians, children of God, members of God's family. We enjoy his love and care and protection. He watches over us and provides for us day by day. And we've been saved, ultimately, to be with him in heaven. That's how you see how great the salvation is. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation which has saved us from an appalling plight and brought us to this wonderful position where we're now the children of God and heirs of heaven. Then we can see a little more of this greatness of our salvation if we think of the planning that went into it. The planning that went to it. Those are over. Can you remember that time in July 1976 when the Israelis rescued 106 uh, hostages from Entebbe Airport in Uganda? A plane carrying a number of Israeli people had been hijacked and they were now being held hostages at Entebbe Airport over 2,000 miles away from Israel. And they were being threatened by death. But the Israeli Defence Force rescued them. The thing that amazed the world was the planning behind the rescue. It took 90 minutes to fly in, rescue 100 people from Entebbe Airport and bring them to safety. But... The planning took several weeks. All the planning that went into that amazing rescue. That helps us to appreciate the greatness of the rescue. It's just the same in the spiritual realm. Think of the planning that went into our salvation. Way back in eternity, before the world was made, 
God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit planned our salvation. God knew that the perfect man and woman he had created would fall into sin. He didn't ordain sin, but he knew that this man and woman would fall into sin. And God the Father looked down from heaven and had mercy and planned our salvation way before the creation of the world. Oh, the planning that went into our salvation. My friend, if you become a Christian tonight, that'll be wonderful. And we'll all rejoice that it was planned by God before you were born. And it was planned by God way back in eternity, before the creation of the world. The planning that went into this way of salvation. Are you a Christian this evening? You became a Christian five, ten, twenty, thirty years ago. But it was all planned by God long before you were born. That's the wonderful thing about this way of salvation. The, um, the peril from which we've been saved, the position to which we've been saved, and all the planning behind it. Another way of grasping the greatness of the salvation is to think of the person who actually saved us. If you were rescued from a blazing house by an ordinary passerby, it would be wonderful. And you would talk about that for a while. But if Prince William were passing that burning house and rescued you, you'd talk about that for the rest of your life. The prince, the future king, rescued me. The person who did it, that makes the rescue even more wonderful. Well, we've been saved if we're Christians, not by some future king, but by the King of kings, by the Lord of lords, by the eternal Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of the whole universe. He's described in all his glory in chapter 1 of this letter to the Hebrews. He is the Son of God, verse 2. He's equal with God in every way. He's the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. He's far greater than all the angels. That's the main message of chapter 1. Indeed, according to chapter 1, verse 6, he's worshipped by the angels. He's the one who shared with God in the creation of the universe. Verse 10, You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. He rules over the whole universe, the Lord of lords and King of kings. That's the person who has saved us. Not a mere man, not a mere teacher, not Mary or Buddha or Confucius or some other religious leader or mystic who's now dead. The person who saved us 
is the Lord of glory, the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings, who rules over all things. At the first ever Christian conference I attended as a new Christian with the girl who was to be my wife, someone sang a solo. I've never forgotten it. I've not very often heard it sung since then. But I've never forgotten the solo. And it goes like this, down from his glory, ever living story. My God and Saviour came, and Jesus was his name. Born in a manger to his own a stranger, stooping to win, to woe, to set me free. Oh, how I love him. How I adore him. My breath, my sunshine, my all in all, the great creator, became my saviour, and all God's fullness dwelleth in him. Why is it that men and women of the world refuse this salvation? Why is it that they're not interested in it? They'll do anything to get a bit of news about an earthly prince. People do anything to get a bit of cheap news about someone like that. But when you tell them the greatest news they could ever hear, that the king of kings came into this world to save guilty people like them, they don't want to know. They don't want to know. How will they escape? How will they escape if they neglect such a great salvation? Following on from that, the best way of grasping the greatness of the salvation is to think of the cost, the price. What did it involve in the way of sacrifice and effort and cost on the part of our Lord? That's the thing, isn't it? that strikes you about any rescue, the cost, the sacrifice involved. There's a disaster, like that terrible calamity of Avavan in 1966, when the coal tip slipped on the school, burying children and teachers. And a great rescue attempt was made. And it cost thousands and thousands of pounds. And it involved firemen and rescue workers working around the clock, facing great danger, making great sacrifices, putting their own lives at risk. And eventually, a few are saved. Children are dug out from that pit. And it moves you. The cost, the sacrifice involved in this rescue is the same in the spiritual realm. Do you want to see how great the salvation is? Well, think of what it involved for the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of the cost, the sacrifice for him. He had to leave the glory of the heavenly realm. We had lived with God the Father from all eternity. He left that. He became a man. He was born in Bethlehem. He did not cease to be the Son of God. 
but he became a man. He was mocked. He was ridiculed. He was derided. He was spat upon. Then at the age of 33, he went to the cross and died there upon the cross. And when he died upon the cross, he bore the punishment of sinners like you and me. That he might deliver us from sin and guilt and hell. It all puts a word in verse 9 of the second chapter. Jesus was made a little lower than the angels. What about that? He who was above the angels, he who was involved in creating the angels, became a little lower than the angels. Why was that? In order to taste death for guilty sinners like us, that we might be forgiven. The Lord of glory left heaven. He became a little lower than angels. He became a man. He took flesh and blood and died to bear the punishment of your sin and my sin. My dear friend, if you're not a Christian, you can only be saved tonight because of a great price that has been paid. You cannot contribute anything to your salvation except your sin. But Jesus Christ has paid the full price. 1 Peter says we are redeemed not with corruptible things like silver and gold but with the precious blood of Christ. But it didn't stop all of that. It didn't stop at that. The Lord has ordained that this way of salvation should be proclaimed and preached throughout the world. Indeed, he began the proclamation himself while he was here on earth. Verse 3 tells us here, it was declared at first by the Lord. And it's mentioned many times in the Gospels. Luke 4 verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he said. Because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of sight of the blind, and to set at liberty those who are bound. So, the Lord felt that salvation was so important that he began to preach it everywhere. But more than that, he then said to his disciples, Go into all the world and preach this message of salvation to every creature. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to all creation. This way of salvation is as great as that. That everyone must hear about it. Every nation must hear about it. Every person that ever lived should hear about it. Jesus himself preached about it, commanded his disciples to preach about it. And there are people today all over the world preaching this message of salvation. You see how great it is, how wonderful it is. Think of the plight from which we've been saved. Think of the position 
through which we've been saved. Think of the planning that went into the salvation. Think of the person who actually saves us, the Son of God. Think of the price he paid when he bore the punishment of our sins. Think of the way that this salvation is to be proclaimed throughout the world. Then to cap it all, we'll see how great the salvation is when we remember it is totally undeserved. We don't deserve to be saved. If you somehow think that you deserve to be saved, then you haven't understood it. The salvation is totally undeserved. If you were trapped in a burning house and in great danger, and someone for whom you had done many good turns came and rescued you, well, you'd be very thankful. You'd be very grateful. But if you were trapped in a burning house, and someone whom you had ignored and abused and sworn at and all the rest of it came and rescued you, that would be grace. That would be undeserved in a sense. Salvation is like that. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. But the Lord Jesus Christ has saved us from our sin. It is amazing grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. So wrote John Newton, the converted slave trader. Oh, how the grace of God amazes me. It took me from my sins and made me free. Written by a poor farm labourer in Burundi who later became a pastor. And it is amazing, this salvation. The longer I live, the more amazing I find it to be. So undeserved. There we were in all our sin. But the Lord Jesus Christ saved us. Those are just a few ways in which we can see the greatness of our salvation. Think of the peril you were in. Think of the position to which you've been saved. Think of the planning behind it. Think of the person who saves us. Think of the price of the salvation, his own precious blood. Do you see why this writer of this letter describes this as so, such a great salvation? Can I ask you, my friend, are you neglecting it? Christian friends, are we neglecting it? When we were first converted, how thrilled, how excited we were about the salvation. It was the greatest thing in our lives that the Lord Jesus Christ had saved us. It thrilled us. We sang about it. We spoke about it. We wanted to be there in church every Sunday morning and evening and as often as we could to praise God for it. Are we still as excited? Or are we beginning to neglect this great salvation? Non-Christian friend, so glad to see you here this evening. 
I don't have to ask you whether you're neglecting this salvation because you are. You've spurned it so far. You've dismissed it. That is dreadful neglect. May this be the night when you realize that to be saved is the most wonderful thing that could ever happen to you. And resolve to go on neglecting it no longer. But this night to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and plead with him to save you. Let's sing John Newton's hymn. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found was blind, but now I see.
God our Father, we thank you and we praise you for this great salvation. We thank you, those of us who are saved, for what you've done for us, totally undeserved, all through the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, should there be anybody here this evening who does not enjoy this great salvation, may this, in your mercy, be the very night when they turn to you and plead with you for mercy and begin to enjoy the wonder of being saved by your amazing grace. May the grace of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ and the love of God our Heavenly Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all this night and forever. Amen.